Small towns can be quaint, they can be beautiful, and they can be quiet. People who live outside of these areas in more populated spots believe that coming here will be a haven away from crimes and scary things. Well, it's kind of like an Uno reverse because you're about to get even scarier creatures, even weirder unexplained happenings, and even stranger people doing even stranger things. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, whether it's from a small town or somewhere else, be sure to submit your story at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. Now, without further ado, be sure to punch that like button, subscribe if you're new, and get ready for some creepy and downright strange and allegedly true small town horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. Rhode Island Sleepaway Camp by Anonymous When I was younger, I would spend my summers at a sleepaway camp in a small town in Rhode Island. During changeover weekends, my mother would come pick me up and we would stay at her friend's house where she would do laundry and replenish my snack supplies before taking me back to the camp. Her friend had a large house across the street from a historic cemetery. She joked that she liked living there because the neighbors were quiet. The original house was three stories and had one old staircase carving up through it through the den next up to the kitchen and into the third floor, which was being used as a kid's space at the time. There were additions on the first and second floors and modern stairs on the side of the house. The modern additions were not haunted, that's for sure. But every one of my mom's friends and family claimed the kitchen in the old part of the house was indeed haunted by some sort of specter. That weekend, my mom slept in the den next to the kitchen, and I slept in the third floor slash attic slash kid space. I am sensitive to the spirit world, at least I like to think so, but I also get scared easily. So when I went to sleep that night, I remember turning off a lamp before using the remote control to turn off the TV because I was much too afraid of the dark and wanted to not leave the covers at all. I wanted to be entirely covered when it was dark. I woke up the following day to the lamp shining down on me. I felt so guilty because I could have sworn I had turned it off. I hated wasting electricity. I told my mom about this while we drove back to the camp the next day. She suggested that it might have been her friend's daughter coming in in the middle of the night drunk and thinking she could crash up there. But I rationalized that she had her own room so it didn't make much sense. Then, my mother told me about what had happened to her in the night. First, they had been drinking wine and talking in the den before her friend made up my mom's bed. They got to talking about ghosts in the house. There was an apparition of a little girl who would appear in the kitchen rafters from time to time. As they were talking, her friend visibly blanched. She was looking through the door into her kitchen and she could see the little girl right then and there, sitting in the rafters, swinging her feet. Then they went to bed. The den had three doorways, the closed off former front door, the door to the kitchen, and the original wooden door with iron latch and hinges that led from the hole to the stairs that went up to where I was sleeping. My mom remembers feeling uneasy about that stairwell, closing that door and latching it. She awoke in the middle of the night to see the door opening and a shadowy figure of a woman standing in the doorway. She forced herself back to sleep, but the door was still available in the morning, wide open. She, she wondered if this, too, was the daughter coming home and not expecting guest. 
but again, all the family members lived in the new addition. She didn't have much of a reason to be where we were. We asked the daughter later and she denied being there. I think our presence stirred up something. In my memory, I can see the ghost going from the kitchen to the den up the stairs, wondering who these people were in her house. But of course, that is probably all my imagination. It had white dots for eyes. By Trey B. Hello, Swamp Dweller. My name is Trey, and I have a story I want to share with everyone here. I live in central Pennsylvania and visit my grandparents in Baltimore, Maryland. I used to go the quickest way driving through a small community called Burnt Cabins. All you need to know about Burnt Cabins is that it gives me the creeps, and I hated going through it. Anyway, I was doing my monthly trip to Grandma and Grandpa's house a few years ago. I hung out with them for about two days before I drove home. I'd gotten about halfway there, and I, I was way later than I should have been, meaning I'd have to drive through burnt cabins at night. It was winter time, so I moved slowly in case of ice. While going through the town, I was trying not to creep myself out by the horrible vibe the place gives off, when, from the right of my headlights about 30 feet away, this tall and very skinny, pitch-black humanoid thing on all fours leaps into the road. I slammed on my brakes and came to a stop. I was glad there was an ice on the road, but this thing stared daggers at me. I remember it was very bony looking. I could make out its joints and vertebrae. This thing gave me the absolute creeps. It crawled up to my window like General Grievous from Star Wars and started tapping on the glass with his claw. That's when I knew this wasn't some guy in a black spandex suit messing around with me. It had no facial detail except for two tiny white dots where the eyes should be. No mouth, no nose, or anything else. After a couple of seconds of this thing tapping on my window, it started clawing at my window slowly but more aggressively, like it was trying to get in. Why, why didn't I just speed off? Who knows? Other than the screeching of its claws on the glass, it wasn't making a sound. To this day, I don't know what it wanted why it was attacking me, or I guess seemingly trying to attack me. After a few minutes, it leaps out into the darkness like a giant demonic frog or something. I floored it off and drove, having little to no regard for the speed limit. I got home and my wife could immediately tell I was shaken up. She sat by the fireplace and held me in her arms saying, it's okay, I got you, while kissing me on my head. It took me a while to calm down. I tried explaining what I saw, but I just couldn't talk straight. Needless to say, I did find a new route to Baltimore, avoiding burnt cabins entirely. There was someone with us. By Crazy P. Hello Swamp Dweller, I just wanted to share my encounter with what I think was a paranormal experience. I live in Romania, in a small town in the northeast of the country. A few years ago, back between 5th and 6th grade, my old teacher wanted to do a camp with the whole class as it was last year seeing her. We stayed at a hotel with two different buildings. Half of the class was in the old building and half was in the new one. Me and two of my friends, let's call them Sarah and Gabby, stayed all three in a room on the last floor and on the right of our room were four other classmates. 
The first few days were quite normal activities and pool days. We were at the start of summer. Somewhere between the fourth and fifth day, things began to change. It was nighttime and everyone was in their room with their door unlocked for our teacher to come and check if we were asleep. Me and Gabby slept in the double bed while Sarah slept alone in a small one. She didn't want to sleep alone, so she pushed it to the end of ours. We usually slept with the TV on because we feared the dark. It never had a signal, so it was usually a casual white screen with many gray and black dots. Sarah asked if I could build something on a game as she was too tired to do it herself. I gladly accepted as I loved to make things. It was only me, her phone, and the TV sound. Gabby and Sarah were deeply asleep. I spent a few hours doing things on her phone until I got one of those creepy chills. I usually get them after I watch a horror movie or something. I started to get scared of the slightest things for no reason. I decided to stay awake for a little while longer until suddenly, Sarah sat in her bed and turned her head looking at me. I called a few times and she didn't react. Hello, my name is Sarah. My heart dropped as soon as I heard her talk. I just sat there, staring at her, incapable of saying anything. That was it. I started holding my breath, scared that any movement would cause her to do something crazy. She smiled at me, went back to sleep like nothing had ever happened. I hoped that that random thing she just did was because she was a sleepwalker or something like that. To escape that creepy situation, I put the phone on the table near the bed and turned around, facing the door and Gabby. I tried closing my eyes and ignoring the feeling of pure terror that caught me. Suddenly, I heard something else. Like someone was knocking on the window. The curtains were closed, so it was impossible to see who was there. Even if the hotels were in the middle of the forest, ten minutes away from any city, there were no trees close enough to the hotel to make any noise like this. I gasped myself into believing that it was one of the boys from another class, as I knew they all do these kind of jokes to annoy people. Of course, if it was a person, it should have been... It should have been somebody who was locked on the balcony or somebody who magically flew up to one of ours. After a few seconds, I heard the hangers in the closet moving as if someone was in there moving around. And I started to tear up because there couldn't be any wind in the closet to cause that to happen. I touched Gabby, hoping she would wake up and stay with me for a while, but she didn't. After both the knocking and the movement stopped, I finally calmed down. Well, I calmed down too soon. Behind my back, there was a small bathroom. We usually never closed the door in case one of us wanted to go in the middle of the night and didn't want to wake up anyone with the noise that it caused. While staying silent, I started feeling steps going out of the bathroom near my bed. You know that feeling when your parents walk in the halls of your house and you know they're there because you can feel that, like, heaviness to it? That's precisely what I was feeling. It stopped right near me as, a, as if it was like examining me, you know? I don't even know how to explain this. Still, with my eyes closed, I faked turning around in my sleep to face the bathroom, and I shouted in my head multiple times to slightly open my eyes to see who it was. I knew there was no way it could be a human, but I prayed that in some way it was just somebody playing a prank on us. There was absolutely no one there when I opened my eyes to see who it could be. Absolutely no one. I started to panic, and you know, as a child, I pulled the cover over my head and went back to sleep thinking it was safe. Somehow, I did eventually fall asleep, and the following day, I woke up and told my friends what had happened. Sarah said she did not wake up, so she said it could have been some sort of sleepwalking moment, but she never had one until last night, at least that she knew of. 
Gabby said that everything that happened to me, she felt it too. So now, I knew there was no way for it to be a nightmare. One of the girls next door in our room looking for something looked back at us with her eyes wide open and said she heard everything too. Now I'm in the 10th grade and to this day I still don't know what happened that night. Whenever I'm at my house or a friend's house, I always close the door to the bathroom. I'm sick of hearing people say that maybe I dreamt about it. Other people felt it too. There was no way it was a dream. Don't Follow the Faces in the Mist by S.F. Sundown Don't follow the faces in the mist. It was a throwaway line, but one I should have listened to. We had finished up a block of training and our instructor, a wiry man everyone called Buck, invited us out for drinks. Most of the group joined, but a few stayed along. A lot of them were locals and had places to be. I was happy to have the company. As the night wore on, Buck's stern exterior came down. It is common enough to almost be a rule that sternness comes from a place of care and concern. Though sometimes misplaced, it was not so with Buck. His job was to prepare us for what we would face in our field and provide us with the tools to execute it as rangers. And he took it seriously. I was happy to have him as a teacher. At the end of the night, we said our goodbyes. He slapped down a hand on my shoulder and took in a breath. He lifted his head with his drooping eyelids and looked at me with a sustained intensity that shook clear the clouds of drunken mind. He said, The Smoky Mountains are a remarkable place, but promise me one thing, don't follow the voices in the mist. It took me five years before I discovered why. The call came through in the early afternoon. A kid had wandered off from the campsite a few miles down the road from the ranger station. The situation is common enough. Someone had wandered off and couldn't find their way back or had managed to get themselves stuck. The majority of these calls resolve themselves the same day. We find the person and issue stern warnings. Hell, sometimes it is all over by the time we even get there, but not always. And no one in our station needed any reminding. Posted on the notice board beside the front door is a picture of Jessica. Her photo has been there for the entire five years I have worked at the station. She went missing the summer before I started. She is still there because we never found her. Jessica's father insisted the photo stay until she was either walking back out of the forest or the alternative no one wanted to give voice to. I know that photo better than any photo of my family or friends. Six-year-old Jessica with blonde hair spilling over her shoulders, fingertips poking out the sleeves of a red puffer jacket one size too big, a pair of bright yellow boots pushing up over faded denim jeans, and a big toothy open mouth smile. Her family took the photo the day that they arrived at the campsite. When the sun set on the search, her father had a copy printed and plastered all over the surrounding town. They were the clothes she had been wearing when she wandered off during the hike the family took up to the waterfall. The copy hanging on our notice board is the only one left. We pulled up to the campsite in our truck. A woman with a bright red beanie pushed down over dark hair was upon us as soon as we got out. She had her phone pressed to her ear and stuffed it in her pocket absentmindedly when she saw us. Adrenaline made her voice shrill and pushed her words together. Kyle nodded and added a few calm words to get her on track. His voice and manner are perfect for these situations. He didn't interrupt, he didn't raise his voice, he only slipped in enough words to get the information we needed. Her name was Polly, she was six years old. She had been wearing a red beanie like her mother's and had faded brown jacket on. It had been passed down through the family. She had dark brown hair and brown eyes, and where was she last seen? Well, where they were hiking was up to that same waterfall, and they planned to have a picnic up there. When they made it to the top, the mist had come in so thick they couldn't see anything of the view. 
That combined with the chill in the air convinced them to come back down. The four had walked together, mother, father, older brother Will and Polly. She had been up there with them when they made it down. On that point, both mother and father agreed, Will had shrugged his shoulders. At the campsite, the air was clear and the fall sun warmed our shoulders. Up the mountain could very well be a different story though, and it likely was. But they somehow left Polly behind the walk back. We got a vehement no. She came down off the mountain. Somehow, in the time between coming back down and setting up the picnic at the fold-out table beside the camper, Polly had wandered off. It wasn't like her, she was a good girl. As we listened, a small crowd circled us at the distance. Because it was the middle of the day, most of the campers were off walking a trail or sightseeing in one of the nearby towns. The ones that were around, elderly couples on retirement and families on holiday, picked themselves up off their deck chairs and came to see about the commotion. No one had seen little Polly, though. Kyle split us into two teams. The first was to search down and around the campsite, the most likely place she would be. At the back of the campsite, a tree-lined creek meandered down the mountain. Beyond the terrain was rough, grass-covered hills and gullies filled with thick bushes. If she had ventured out there, a slip could send her tumbling into a stack of reeds and no one would see her. The second team was to go back up the trail, retrace the steps the family had taken to come down. It was unlikely, but sometimes people had what Kyle called a McAllister moment. This is when a parent is sure their child is or isn't with them, and they are wrong. It is the sort of thing that leads to parents leaving their children in cars on hot days, and famously a family named the McAllisters leaving their child home alone to stave off some would-be thieves at Christmas time. Mark and I ended up on the team heading up the trail. I'll admit I was a little disappointed. Like Kyle, I was sure Polly was somewhere around the campsite. It is a selfish thought, but on a search you always wanted to be the one who finds the person. I was sure now that it wouldn't be me. We started up the trail, leaving the campsite in the search effort behind. Before we left, the mother had shown us a photo of Polly taken up at the waterfall. I kept the picture in my head as we walked. I hoped we wouldn't be adding it to the notice board. The trail was eerily quiet. I had walked it many times and always come across people powering up or coming back down. Not today. The trees surrounded us on all sides, and the world went silent. We walked slowly, scanning through the forest on either side and calling out her name. We hadn't gone far when the mist came in, thicker and faster than usual. When you live up this way, you get used to it. There's a reason they're called the Smokies, after all. Before long, visibility was down to only a few yards. I stopped and looked back down the trail. It was no better than the visibility ahead. It almost seemed unnatural how quickly and completely the mist had arrived. I was about to say I had never seen anything like it when Mark took the words right out of my mouth. It was comforting that it wasn't just me. No wonder the family had turned back. The ferocity of the mist gave rise to a terrible thought. Polly may be up here in the forest somewhere. It would be easy for a child to wander off or even to stop to fumble with a stray shoelace for just long enough to get separated from her family. The parents had been sure she made it down, but then there was the McAllister effect. I called ahead to Mark, who had walked on ahead. When I received no response, I skipped a few paces to catch up. As an adult, and knowing the area as well as I did, there was still a moment of fear when being alone spiked in my stomach. I could only imagine what Polly was going through if she was up here all alone. Mark had stalled up on the trail ahead. He turned as he heard my footsteps and pointed out to the right. He thought he heard something. I squinted through the mist, but saw nothing. He couldn't give me any other details, only that something had caught the corner of his eye as soon as he was about to turn his head. I stepped into the trees and called after Polly. A few steps more and I stopped and listened. Nothing. 
Back on the trail, Marco was fixed in place. His face had gone pale. It moved, he said. What did? The mist. I turned behind and then back to Mark. I waited for a punchline or for him to break into a smile, but none came. Let's keep going. I found myself on edge. The mist enclosing us had a sudden menace to it. As we climbed it, it only grew thicker. I buttoned up my coat, and against the cold, it was like being high in the air and inside a cloud. We walked in silence. I called out after Polly half-heartedly. When I noticed Mark was no longer by my shoulder, I stopped and turned. I strode back down until I found him standing like a statue. He shook his head at me. He wanted to go down. I grabbed his arm and told him we had to keep going. It was our job, and if Polly was up here, she was relying on us to find her. Mark is a big guy, but at that moment he looked small and fragile. He looked up to the sky and then back to me. He nodded, and we continued. Up ahead, the trail turned to the left. As we approached, the bend shapes started to appear in the mist. At first, I took them to be the outline of branches leaning over the trail, but as we came closer, the outline stretched and deformed like clouds changing shape under a high wind. The shape coalesced into something that vaguely resembled the outline of a small child. I blinked my eyes and refocused and it was still there. The outline of a child running away from us, around the bend in the trail. I broke into a run and rounded the bend, chasing after the shape in the mist. On the other side, there was nothing. Only a blank wall of mist like before. Had I just imagined it? Was my mind playing tricks? I turned to Mark to check if he had seen it, but Mark was not there. I ran back to the bend and rounded it again in the other direction. Mark? I ran a few more steps and still nothing. Mark? I called out again and again and again, but there was only silence. He was just there a second ago. He had been beside me when the bend came into view. I was sure of it. Or had he? We had walked in silence. Had he flaked, turned back, and left me alone? Surely not. Mark was a reliable guy. He wouldn't do that to me. Maybe I had a McAllister moment. But then, where was he? Mark? I called again and again. I ran 50 yards back down the trail and nothing. I stood with my hands on my hips, unsure of what to do next. I didn't want to walk back to the campground without Mark. I also didn't want to hike further up the trail alone. A pocket of warm air washed over me and back over my neck. It was as if someone pushed their mouth right up against my skin and exhaled. I snapped my head around and no one was there. I almost called out again for Mark and thought better of it. I took a few steps back up the trail towards the bend where I'd seen the shapes in the mist. On my left were the rustle of leaves and a sharp crack of a twig snapped. I stopped and peered through the mist in the trees. Something in there moved. I leaned forward. A few feet above the base of a tree, a small pocket of mist turned into a circle. As I neared it, it coalesced into a face. The face of a child. A small girl. Polly. I jumped forward and the face pulled back further into the forest. I called after the girl and followed her into the forest. If she was up here, I had to look. I had to be sure. Soon, trees surrounded me. The mist hung as heavy around the trees as it had done on the trail. I looked left and right, searching for the face I had seen or thought I had seen. No, it had to have been there. There again, up ahead, the vague outline of a small girl. I put the picture of Polly back into my head so that I knew that it was her. Red beanie, faded brown jacket, dark hair and brown eyes. But as much as I tried to picture Polly, it was the other girl, Jessica, from the photo on the notice board that I saw. The blonde hair, the red puffer jacket, and that big smile. I couldn't shake the image. I followed the face of the girl in the mist. I skipped a few steps to catch up, but she disappeared. I stood panting a little and called out. And there she was, directly ahead, standing in a small clearing. Red puffer jacket and blonde hair, six-year-old Jessica. 
Six-year-old Jessica, who disappeared five years ago and was now here, still six years old. I squeezed shut my eyes and shook my head. When I opened them, she was still there, smiling up at me with that big, goofy grin. I trembled. This shouldn't be. It was Polly I was searching for, dark hair, red beanie. I'm looking for Polly, I said and immediately felt foolish. The child looked up at me, confused, and the smile was gone. She turned a circle on the spot, and when her face came back into view, her face was different. Not only was her face not there anymore, it was now dark, and she manifested a red beanie. It was Polly now, where it had been Jessica a second ago. Polly? I said. She made the same goofy smile as Jessica had in her photo. I shook my head and almost yelled at her. You are not real. This can't be real. The grin faded again, and her mouth twisted into a grotesque snarl. Her mouth opened wide and then wider still unnaturally so, and her crooked child's teeth morphed into razor-sharp fangs. The moment before I turned to run, I locked with the creature's eyes, yellow and menacing. I raced through the trees, desperately seeking the trail. I swung my head around, and in the mist, a wall of faces closed in from behind. I gave an involuntary yelp and forced myself to look away. When I finally found the trail, I turned and ran at full speed down into... When I finally found the trail, I turned and ran full speed down in toward the campsite. Mark be damned, I didn't want anything to do whatever with whatever... Mark be damned, I didn't want anything to do with whatever was hiding in the forest. I turned back and before I could process anything, I hit a wall in the trail and tumbled to the ground. It was Mark. I scrambled to my feet and Mark stared at me with eyes filled with terror. Did you see it? I didn't answer him. I grabbed him by the arm and started down the trail. We had to get down. Mark made a noise, a half laugh, half cry, and I turned and followed his outstretched hand. There, standing near the trees, was Polly. But it wasn't Polly. She stood there and watched us, with an arm held out, beckoning us into the forest. Don't look at it! I fixed my eyes on the trail ahead, trying to give myself tunnel vision. In my imagination, the faces sprung up again on each side. I covered my head and yelled at them to stop, and then as if someone flicked a switch, I felt the warmth of the sun on my face. I looked up and saw the blue of the sky. We were out of it. We slowed to a walk. When we came back to the playground, Kyle asked us if we were okay. He could see that we were shaken up. I didn't know how to explain what we had seen, so I told him that we did not find Polly. The team at the base had not found her either. I am convinced of two things. Polly went missing on that trail somewhere in the mist, and whatever we saw was not her. There is a second photo hanging on our notice board. Polly has joined Jessica two girls taken by something lurking in the mist. North Dakota Horror by Andy J. This happened to some of my friends and me during the summer of 2021 after my high school graduation. I'm from a small town in North Dakota, and my buddies and I are the stereotypical rednecks of the city. You know, the type who drive loud trucks and is always armed somehow. We were doing what most teenagers do for fun in the Midwest, driving around and shooting signs. When we got low on ammunition, one of my friends, we'll call him Gary, recommends we check out this snowmobiling warming hut where he's experienced some paranormal activity. Now my buddies and I are all Christians and are very religious, but we couldn't pass up an opportunity like this either because we were also buzzed or because we were just dumb teenagers with nothing to do. So we arrive at the old shack and sit in my other buddies, who will call him Larry, 
F-150 truck. We turn off the headlights and the dash lights and look and listen. Even though I didn't believe in the paranormal at the time and was skeptical, I felt reassured that I had my AK with me. It's important to note that it is hot for a North Dakota evening and extremely dark out. We were all content, feeling good, and someone in the back seat suddenly said it felt like we were being watched. After he said that, I flipped the safety off my AK and tried to be aware as possible. Then he shouted, Holy crap! In the most terrified, helpless voice I'd ever heard come out of him, he tells us to look in Larry's rearview mirror. What I saw was genuinely horrifying. In this rearview mirror, this glowing white figure stands about 7 or 8 feet tall. It's only about 30 yards away from us, peeking behind a tree. Larry immediately turns his truck on and throws it in reverse to get a better look, but just as abruptly as it had appeared, it was instantly gone. I fired a few rounds in its general direction, and immediately after I did, the air got freezing cold. After that, Larry floored it, tearing out of there like the Dukes of Hazard. We were all spooked to our bones, but one of my buddies, we'll call him Barry, says he saw nothing. Now, the white figure was terrifying, but the creepiest part is why Barry didn't see it when all the rest of us did. The Cage in the Wood by Yes, I'm Fluffy 99. At the time, I was a 20 year old female who had just moved to a small upstate town. I had grown up in a slightly larger town about 60 miles away and just wanted a new start. I love camping and often go camping in the Adirondacks, but at the time, I hadn't yet made friends to go camping with, so I wasn't going to go into the real woods alone, if you know what I mean. Down the road from me, I had been walking around and found an area where the power lines cut through a wooded section. The power lines were perpendicular to the road. It was near a house, but far enough to the right to the place where I don't think anybody would see me if they were walking the trail that the power lines made. I'm not sure about other countries, but in the United States, they keep power lines clear in case of maintenance. So I wander up there, noticing how it's pretty deep woods, and how far I can get away from the house that I saw on the road, they couldn't possibly think I'm trying to break in. And then, bing, I get an idea. I could go camping up here. It's secluded enough to give the natural woods experience, but close enough to the road that I wouldn't be in danger of wildlife or anything like that. So, I do. I set up camp in this little clearing that I accessed by climbing the hill, following the power lines, then turned left onto what seemed to be some sort of deer trail. Deer are absolutely everywhere in New York. Then I came upon this lovely flat, grassy clearing. After clearing the dead wood away, I built my fire off to the side. I'm feeling brilliant and independent. It was creepy to sleep in the woods alone, sure, as I had always had at least one camping companion. But hey, whatever. New experiences build new skills, you know? I wandered further down the path the next day to see where it led. I walked for about an hour, and I can see some fields on the right. But they are in the distance, and there is a fence between the fields and the path. So again... I figure people can't be mad for me being here. Then I come across another path. Heading to the right, I follow it. A couple of feet in, it curves slightly and there's an old van to the left of the path. Well, that's strange. But it's about 1pm near noon anyway, in broad daylight and the birds are chirping. So I don't really feel in danger. I go up to the van which had been there for a very long time, clearly. It was like a 70s style make, it made me kind of think of Scooby-Doo. And there were overgrown weeds all around it. There are streaks of brownish red going down the side from the bottom of the doors. I looked in and saw what appeared to be an old bedding or something in the back. 
but it was all shredded up and the curtains in the windows were shredded as well. There was clothing strewn about, it looked like the clothing was from the 70s or early 80s, I still felt no danger per se. Snickering at the terrible fashions back in the day, I continued along the path for a short time, until I finished rounding another slight bend. I stopped dead in my tracks, finally. My reptile sense went off, or whatever you call it. I wake the hell up, and it, it, I'm just, my head is screaming at a total volume that I've never heard before. Up ahead, there is this creepy-ass doll hanging from the tree by its neck with a noose. Not just stuck in the trees, but just left there as it was hanging. It was terrifying, to say the least. To the right of it, though, there was this huge cage-like structure, easily big enough to hold a full-sized human. This seems to be made up of pipes and other long metal objects just welded together. Some were up, some were down, some were across, and the squares they made weren't big enough to fit my head through, let alone anything else. Not that I tried, anyway. It had four sides and a ceiling. It had other creepy-ass dolls hanging from it. It also had reddish-brown stains running down the sides, just like the van. Further behind it in the distance was a rundown house. Creeped out as hell, I just turned tail and ran. I am not a runner by any means, I am a chunky girl, and I have smoked for more than six years, and I do not run. But I ran that day. I don't even remember the run, and I remember coming up upon my campsite, grabbing my tent in one swoop as I ran past. Luckily, I had put all my things into the tent. Ripping it out of the ground as I continued running, I left my cooler, my food, and all that stuff behind. I never went back for it either, and sometimes I kind of feel bad about that though. I dropped the tent stakes along the way and had to repair rips in my tent. I tore down that hill. I'm still surprised it didn't break my neck or ankle. Jumped in my car and sped home. I locked all my doors, then paced my house going, what the hell, what the hell, what the hell, for hours. It's been 11 years since that incident, and even typing it now makes my hands shake. I currently live almost 1,400 miles away, but I still made sure my doors were locked. And they are. The crazy thing is, is, I wasn't even that deep in the woods. Maybe in the 1970s it would have been, who knows. As it stands now though, people live within a short walk of this place. And no, I know you will ask, I did not call the cops. I can't articulate why. My best analysis looking back is that I didn't want the creep to find me. I should have probably called them at the very least. You are probably right there. I hope it was an old crime scene and not some sick man who still keeps people in cages in the woods. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true small town horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to subscribe and hit that like button as it helps a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it to fresh new eyes. The more people that subscribe, the more the swamp grows, and that's incredibly helpful. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, be sure to submit yours at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. You can also submit it at reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. If you're on the go but don't have YouTube Premium, but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dwellers scary stories no matter where you are, you can actually download them absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere you find your favorite podcast online. If you made it all the way to the end, I would love to know what story is your favorite tonight. It helps me pick better stories for the future. Again, if you have a story, be sure to send it in. I'd love to share it. If you made it to the end, once again, today's code word is pink can. Be sure to use that in the comments to confuse anybody who didn't make it to the end. The funniest comment will be pinned at the top. Thank you guys as always. I'll see you soon with another creepy episode. 
Be sure to join me on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the good social medias, and I'll see you soon.